gonna go up north, gonna find my mother, my aunties, go back home to my country. So you can't hurt me no more. What do you mean, me? I didn't hurt your family. I didn't do anything. You England. I'm not England. I'm Ireland. You bloody England! I'm Ireland! It's a Sasnak, Gak Mok Mahrakub, Makhalna Bulagi Arab, and Hui Kunal Arab, Erin Gabrach. You Ireland? Yes, I'm Ireland, you fool. I freaking hate the English. I'm Ireland. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinsky. And I'm Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? Good, Ryan. Hello to you too. How are you doing? I'm, I, I'm doing good. I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm okay. Uh, we watched a rather intense movie this week, which for the courtesy of the listening people, I'll say up front at the top of this episode, all of the content warning, all of the trigger warnings, the movie we'll be discussing has pretty much all of it. It has uh, rape, um, violence, uh, racism, child injuries. I mean, the only thing that didn't get really hurt were gay people and uh, <laughs> and the animals in this one. Yeah, I think the YouTube upload of this might not be, uh, might not have ads. Oh, oh, you, you think? <laughs> Unless we conveniently avoid all discussion of that kind of stuff. Oh, you mean the YouTube, yeah, the YouTube upload of our actual episode. Yes, of course, for some reason I thought you were talking about the YouTube upload of the film <laughs> of we'll the be talking movie. about this week. <laughs> Oh, yes. So before we get into it, yes, we are going to be talking about the Australian film The Nightingale from 2018. I recommended this movie because the format of our show Pictures Power is we talk about a movie that has come recommended. Our cycle of recommendation goes myself, um, it goes Bartek, then myself, then you, the listening people. So the next one will be a listening people's suggestion. So stick to the end of the episode to find out what that will be or read the description of this episode if you're just super keen on knowing. But yes, all the content warning, all the trigger warnings, and of course, spoiler warnings for this film, the 2018 slash 2019 film The Nightingale, directed by Jennifer Kent, who is probably best known for her directorial debut, The Babadook, which uh, made a big splash in the world of modern horror, whether for good or for bad. They're a very divisive film, that one, it seems. People either think it's the greatest film ever made or it is overrated. Um, We can talk about that briefly, too. But... Mm -hmm. uh, we are going to be talking about The Nightingale 2018-29 slash 2019. I say slash because this is one of those movies where it says 2018, probably because it played at a few festivals, but it didn't really get a release until 2019. I mean, I saw that just to get into histories as well. I saw this one in the cinema last year. I had heard minor things about it. I personally wasn't as overwhelmed by... Uh, 
The Babadook. I think it's a great movie, and I like her direction, but I'm not a Jennifer Kent stan, and I wasn't frothing at the gills hearing, oh, it's her next film, but I had heard word of mouth about it, and I'd seen a trailer for it, and it looked interesting. It just kind of captivated my interest, so I really wanted to see it in the cinema, because last year in particular, I was going out of my way to see movies in the cinema, even ones that I didn't feel like I would necessarily want to see, but there are just some movies that you just push yourself to go see them, and some movies really do benefit from just seeing them in the cinema, uh, and this was one that I felt grateful for having seen it on the big screen, even though its aspect, aspect ratio is the Academy size ratio, the small boxy type ratio. So that is my history relationship with the movie. I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, and I've recommended it for this. Bartek, what about you? What's your history relationship with this movie? And to go even further, the director of the film. Uh, so I'm not sure if I have heard of this movie at any point. Um, I have seen The Babadook. So when you mentioned last week that this was the next film of the director of that film... Um, there was a like you know sense of intrigue there because uh, I have heard that she did make that big splash in the world of especially horror. Mm. Um, so I wanted to definitely see you know what's what's next for her. Um, I didn't mm. necessarily know much about the film, although and you had this on record last week. Um, this was a film that you had to walk in knowing that it was going to be a bit of a tough sit. Um, so yes. I did at least prepare myself for, you know, some strong themes. I didn't necessarily know what the story was. I actually probably thought it was a horror film. Um, it was, it certainly had horrifying things in it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely see what you meant by, you know, being prepared for it. Yeah, it is good to know that you're not going to be walking into a, a fun, happy-go-lucky movie, to say the least. I am curious... Did you like The Babadook? Because you said you've seen it, but you didn't give me an impression just with what you were saying then of your actual feelings on that movie. But what were your feelings on the actual film of that one, just to briefly touch on it? Uh, I definitely liked it. I saw it with a group of people, and what you were saying there about um, the reactions to that film being extremes was pretty much true for my group experience. Mm -hmm. There was one guy that didn't like it, our friend Oliver, and the rest of us did like it. And it was especially significant for me because um, one of the people in our group was our friend Malloy, who tends to uh, not have the greatest focus with movies, but for this one, like, he was absolutely captivated. So that was like, you know, that was like a huge miracle, which, which that really says something about that film, The Babadook. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed The Babadook. I didn't, I, I didn't absolutely love it. I haven't seen it since, but I own it because it did impress me enough to the point in which I wanted to own it, knowing one day I want to revisit it. My main thing that I walked away with that from that movie, and I can gladly say I walked away from this movie, I wasn't necessarily impressed with the, oh, she's made the big splash in horror world. What I was impressed by were the performances and the direction, it's a, the actual direction itself, and that still rings true for this movie. I knew that this one wasn't a horror movie, I knew that this one was a colonial Australia movie, which, having grown up in Australia, I'm aware of what those type of movies are, 
So I walked in with a certain expectation of what to expect from it, and it still didn't meet that expectation because this film is uh it's it's a lot. It's a lot. But I walked away from this one being even more impressed because like you said, you thought it was horror. Many people thought, oh well she she made the big splash in horror. That means that she's gonna do another horror movie again. And here we are, and it's not, but she carries over the strengths from her previous work and to me improves upon them and, and tightens them up even more so in this movie. I thought the performances in particular were were amazing to the point in which this is my second time seeing it. I'm watching it knowing where the story goes and I was really and as a viewer myself and as someone who's into acting and is an actor, when I rewatch something I really try to notice the acting. And I couldn't because I didn't see the actors anymore. I I didn't see them. I just saw the characters and that's how good the performances is and the direction is, in my opinion. Um, would you say similar, Bartek? Yeah, definitely. The a lot of raw stuff in this film. The acting very, very spectacular. So, what did you think of this movie? This is your first time seeing it. You've given your whole prelude about what you knew and didn't know about it, and you were prepared for it to be an intense time. How was it? I enjoyed it very much. I thought this was a very good film. Mm. What about it struck you? Yeah, just how raw it was, how you know, it is a period piece film, but it doesn't doesn't really rom- it do- doesn't really it doesn't romanticize that period at all. It just shows you exactly how it was and when I was reading the trivia about how that was the intention and you know, the, it said, like, Aboriginal elders helped with the production of this film and that they really nailed it. I really, really got the sense that, yeah, they did nail it. Um, there was one piece of trivia that was talking about how um, not everyone is fully aware of what it was like back then in that period and that place, uh, Tasmania. Mm. Um, I think I'm definitely on the side of I didn't know much about um, what was going on in Tasmania at the time and... Yeah, so that was just, like, an extra big shock of, like, oh, man, it was really this bad. Like, knowing and seeing, even though this is a film, seeing was, yeah, it it had a big impact. Yeah, this, but I'm glad to hear that you liked it, because this film is, it's a hard one to say, I liked it because of how misery-inducing it is by design, but I wouldn't say this is a misery porn movie. It has hope and optimism, and there's light in this movie in amongst all the darkness, but it is so brutal and matter-of-fact in its brutality of what happens and the world and the history of this place that it is a tough one to say, oh, I liked it, because... It doesn't, by design, you're supposed to feel so uncomfortable watching it that it is fascinating, you know, that that dichotomy there of with these type of movies of it's by design, in a way, trying to make you not like it, but at the same time, you do like it because of many aspects of the movie that do work that we'll get into into the discussion. But it is great to hear because I was worried that you weren't gonna like this because I feel like 
I don't know. I just had a, a minor sense that you may or may not like this because of how brutal it is. I thought, will this be too much for Bartek? Um, but I'm glad to hear that you got something something out of it. Yeah, it's definitely an alternative definition of like. This isn't the type of film. It's like, oh man, that was a lot of fun. I want to see that again, or it makes me feel joyful. It. Uh, you don't want to see the Nightingale ha- cinematic universe. Yeah, I want to know what happened in Western Australia at the time. Uh, <laughs> With a rabbit proof um, fence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that ages ago. I have to re-see it. Um, yeah, uh, it, it definitely made me think, like, we you've, we know this. So, there are some people who would not watch a film that is that's intended to make you feel down or or feel negative emotions this is definitely Mm. one of those films that if you're that type of person i think there's not really any chance that you will like it you'll get nothing out of it yeah yeah i respect that about this movie like you said the trivia mentions how much effort that they put in you know learning these things and attributing these and getting elders in and really trying to nail down the his- history and the time and the feeling of the times and and the dynamics. And what I'm saying is this movie feels very, very deliberate to the point in which, like I just said, if you are not into this type of feel of a movie, you are not going to get anything out of it because it's not made for you. That's just the baseline. It, like, it is so deliberate in what it wants to be, what it wants to say, and what it wants to do. Not saying that this movie is 100% perfect. I do have a couple of issues with it, but I, my issue does not fall into in any way that they didn't know what they were trying to do or they kind of felt like they did. This film, this film is made with a clear vision and understanding and of and not just understanding of what the vision is but understanding of what the repercussions of what it is putting out there is that's majorly important because this film deals with sexual violence racially based violence lots of violence and and uh, hatred but it's never feeling like it's exploitation on any of those things it just feels like it's a documentation on those things yeah yeah. You mentioned that you were a little less familiar with the brutal history of Tasmania and in turn I guess the uh founding of Australia's uh you know the colonization of Australia and how brutal it truly is. And that was a part of the journey of this movie is kind of showing you and many people the the true darkness of Australia's history. Yeah, I had a, like, general Australian sense, but, like, specifically Tasmania, like, I actually don't think I know much about that state at all. <laughs> yeah, and that's not surprising. As Australians, um, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to you, Bartek, but I think out of the two of us, I have a a little bit of a greater understanding of uh, Australian history and culture. I think that's fair to For say. Sure. There's been many instances on the pod and in real life where you will just completely sideline, like, just, like, blindside me with just something you don't know that is just, like, this is something that, like, everyone knows. But I often think of you as you're kind of like a man in two different cultural worlds. You've got your Polish side and the Australian side, and you kind of know a bit about both, but also you don't know a lot about both at the same time. It's, like, an interesting 
interesting kind of space you live in that's different to myself, because I've talked on the pod before that my Polish background really is just name only. The culture wasn't carried over um, by my grandfather, especially because of the time he came to Australia, which was during the kind of um, white Australia policy era, the kind of after the world wars happened, and it was basically lose your culture and appreciate what you got here mentality, which you can see yeah. is in this movie um, at the earlier stages of Australia being colonised. Yeah, my family came to Australia in the early 80s. Mm, in which um, cultural diversity and, uh, you know, Australia was considered the cultural melting pot of the world by that point, and multiculturalism was a lot more prevalent by the time you came along. So I kind of have this greater understanding. And, of course, Tasmania, for those who don't fully know is where you know just not to fully generalize but kind of uh is where most like where some of the biggest atrocities happen genocide basically there's there's very little left if anything really of the aboriginal people who came from tasmania we we wiped you know the the english basically wiped them off the face of the earth practically as well as many fauna and uh, flora as well uh the tasmanian tiger being an example of something that existed and no longer exists and uh, tasmania really is the dark spot in australia's uh landscape of where fucked up shit really happened of course it happened across the across the board uh i come from a different state from bartek originally i'm from new south wales he's from victoria and I've often brought up how different it is from my perspective because where I grew up there was large amounts of Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal people. I grew up in a town that has, you know, 50-50 Aboriginal and white people there. And you come down, the further south you go in Australia, the less and less prevalent that is, it seems. Yeah. To the point in which I, you know, uh, I've met many people down here in Melbourne who have practically never met an actual Aboriginal person their own age. And that is a foreign concept to me because I grew up in an environment that's very different. So I also have a kind of a different understanding to Bartek and many people down here in Melbourne of Aboriginal people because I grew up in a very different environment. And this stuff that is depicted in the movie... We learn about it somewhat in school, but it's not really properly taught because it's kind of embarrassing to talk about, I would say. Yeah, from my my perspective, like I've I've got a teaching degree, so I've uh, I've learned a thing or two about what it what you have to do as a teacher, and there is a big emphasis uh, at university that um you have to try to incorporate uh indigenous understanding into your mm. curriculum wherever you can and it's always a thing that's emphasized but it's never really a thing that's really i guess practically done like when i was on placement i'm not really sure that i saw much of any of that it, it was mm. it's always been this really weird kind of if, if double standard is the word double standard of uh you know you have to do all of these things one of these things is, you know, incorporate Aboriginal understanding or mm. content into classes, but I never really see it done. And it really does, yeah, kind of stand out. And when you see a film like this, which, you know, has a very big uh, Indigenous identity, it's, 
it stands out all the more because mm. the rest of the country or or whatever isn't really focusing on all that. One of the things that the film really touches upon is that the English are wiping them out, not just by numbers, but wiping out their culture. There comes a point late in the film in which uh, our Aboriginal tracker Billy is, allow- is allowed to sit at the table and eat with the white people, and he just starts crying. And it's just so sad, and he's just like, this is my country, this is my home, and you're just... It's just tragic, and a part of what the film is touching upon is that we are wiping out not just them as people, but their culture, their cultural identity, and that still hits very hard because of it's still a true sentiment today in current Australia, and it's not something uh, widely talked about as much as it could be because it's, it's embarrassing for our ego as a nation, I would say. As we record this, it is NADOC week, which is a, um, it's an Aboriginal kind of um, celebration and kind of festival kind of thing going on during the week. And one of the big hot-button topics happening right now is two of the major political parties, the Nationals and the Liberals, are very, very upset that the Aboriginals want their flag up at Parliament House. Um, oh. During NADOC week for the whole week, not just a day, the whole week. And stuff like that is still happening. And when you come back to a film like this and it shows you the absolute horrors of what we were capable of doing and the fact that the ramifications of those things is still rippling throughout time and all the way up until where we're recording this, it makes it even more uncomfortable for people like us who are from Australia, but for people who aren't from Australia watching this. I think it's still a very impactful um, movie because I think it does a perfect job at communicating across the absolute um, tyranny and murderous and horrible nature of colonialism. Yeah, for for all this film's uh, trigger warning uh, worthy... Uh, aspects i was fine with most of it like i I could handle all the rape the violence the murder Mm. um the thing that shocked me i think the most was uh you know our main character who we'll we'll get into the story soon our main character Mm. within the first 30 minutes as all this horrible stuff happened to her she's firmly the victim who we are empathizing with and once they start introducing an Aboriginal character into the story, as sympathetic as and empathetic as we are for this character, she goes full racist. And it was a very, very conflicting, huge shock for me. And the, the moment where, like, they start the journey, Billy's walking at the front, and she's behind him on the horse, aiming her gun at him. Mm. That was the biggest like shock moment for me. Like, oh my god, this this film really is, you know, not holding back. And it's perfect because of that. Because our main character, she has an arc. Many, many different types. One of them is getting over her prejudice and understanding, having empathy outside of herself. Yeah. Because what happened to her is very horrible, but the journey that this movie makes you think it is, is your typical rape revenge movie. And not to 
you know, sound horrid about this or, or discount this, but a part of that narrative in these movies, and this movie especially tra- kind of tricks you with that, is how self-driven that person is, that they, they pull themselves up from hell and they go on this mission of revenge. And a part of that is the that drive of the self. And this movie kind of pushes that to also being like, she's kind of selfish in a way too, because... Billy's just, you know, to her, he's he he's nothing. And so he doesn't want to get in trouble. He's going to lose and risk everything for this mission that she wants that only benefits her because that's who she cares about at this point. That's all she has left is just her, her anger and her revenge. And as the movie goes on and the violence happens, she begins to realize that and that kind of strips away and she gets to understand and have empathy for someone else and that someone else is Billy. And she gets to understand that he's lost a lot and that his people has lost more than she ever has. And she's gone through some fucking horrible shit, but that is a part of the movie. And it works great because you're saying, like you said, it's confronting because we are so used to in these movies, especially as Australians. We just mentioned Rabbit Proof Fence a little while back. Rabbit Proof Fence deals with some really horrid shit, yet there's still good white people in that movie. You know, and that's a part of the confronting thing is we are so used to in these movies. Oh, well, she'll be nice to him because she's our main character and we're supposed to like her. I think movies kind of worry about um, making us like our characters. There's a difference between having to like our characters and having likability. We have likability for her in a way because we feel sorry for her because we witness this horrible trauma, but it would be inaccurate for the time, and for her own character as well, for her not to be a racist towards him. It wouldn't make any sense, other than the typical way that movies construct these nice white characters that we are supposed to relate to. Hence, this genre of movie that we are talking about, these colonial Australian movies that are like, look how much the white man is oppressing the black man, they often don't work for me because there's always that, but there's always the good white guy. There's always the good white person. And there's no uh, faults with them, or if there is, they're very, very minor. But this movie is really confronting because, like you said, the first act of the movie solely puts you in her headspace and you, you want her to succeed. And then you're confronted with the fact, oh, right, she's a horrible person because she has this bias against this black man and then you realize oh yeah and and it and the movie slowly unfolds and the character grows up and they realize something about themselves and they realize to have empathy yeah uh it is uh, a fascinating uh thing to behold yeah the 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 racial stuff where i know we're we're going to talk about other aspects of the movie, but this is obviously a big part of the movie. I mean, this is uh, the language spoken in the movie. The actual Aboriginal language spoken in the movie is practically a dead language. Only few people know it. And this is the first time it's ever been in a, in a, in a film. Like, yeah. isn't that crazy? <laughs> it is crazy. I think it said that, I think the trivia point, yeah, it did say that it was practically a dead language. But in a way, now it's got a chance to live on in a movie that actually deserves to make it live on. It's not one of these 
other colonial Australian movies that I, that I personally have disdain for. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Australia uh, by Baz Luhrmann, but the way yeah, that I they did. use Aboriginal and white dynamics in that movie is so fucking eye-rolling inducing. Like, literally, towards the end of that movie, the Aboriginals save them, and it's treated like like black... like like ooh, mysticism, that they come in at the end of the day from Darwin or whatever, being bombed by the Japanese, and it's just so fucking patronizing. Well, this one, it's, like I said to you, it doesn't feel like exploitation, it feels like documentation. You know, like, and this isn't saying that the film feels like a documentary, but it just feels like it's documenting just how things were. Yeah. Uh, But, yes, this movie is... A tough watch and the reason most people talk about it being a tough watch is the brutal sexual violence that happens a baby gets killed at the beginning of the movie um multiple mm-hmm. rapes um uh, horrid horrid things and with these type of movies usually too but it's like these rape movies these rape revenge movies they usually front load that, and then the rest of it is them getting their bloody revenge. But the movie, I don't know if you feel the same, but you think at the beginning, oh, the horrible stuff. Well, I've gotten over that hump now. Now we're going to be, oh, it's going to be okay. But the movie just, it keeps going. Like, there's just more horrible things throughout the movie that just keep happening. Yeah, this this was, as much as the rape in this film did kind of a little bit feel like I spit on your grave. This is a completely different experience. Do you think it feels like I spit on your grave? Just in terms of the the execution of the rape, some of the raw moments in that reminded me of I spit on your grave. But in terms of the whole film, no, it doesn't. Mm, because I spit on your grave is a, is a great exploitation movie. Yeah. And this... Pff, oh boy, I wouldn't say that. So we've got to talk about you know, a bit more about the the big, you know, horrid rape scene. I mean, it, we already have a rape before that scene happens, so you kind of know the tone is set, that this is going to be a horrid world like this. How did you feel when they came to her house and the husband, and how, how was it for you when you watched that? It, it, was, it was intense. Um especially since we did get a little bit of time to get to know the husband and the baby as being, you know, living figures that are a part of this woman's life. You know, we've seen her singing to her child in bed. Um, we, we got close-ups of that baby looking at its mother, and it was, you know, it was a very emotional scene, um, this close-up of a baby just like looking wide-eyed at its mother and yeah it, it it had a it it was very lifelike and then when you contrast that with what happens later it is it is very emotional um like i said i i handled it well like the the racism stuff was mostly what got me but you know, raw moments like when the guy just smashed the baby against the wall, you know, that was that was disturbing. Did it catch you off guard with how intense it was, even though you knew that this was going to be a rough watch? Did it? How, how sudden it was, I guess. Yeah. Like the baby's death and... 
and 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 yeah, even even the husband getting killed. Like mm-hmm. there was there were a few ways that that scene could have gone. Most of them bad, but just getting shot and he's dead. Yeah, you know it's it was sudden. It was very sudden. Yeah, and that's and even and. Yeah, and and um, we haven't mentioned the characters yet, but it's a it's a lieutenant and his two uh, subordinates, mm. um, and the subordinates, you know, they're very different characters. One is this very sleazy, haggard-looking guy who's all for it, and the other is this young guy who is clearly conflicted. And even though they are not on the level of their lieutenant who's leading this. Like I was at least getting the sense of like, oh, they're both they both have some reservations about what's going on, and just mm. seeing them, seeing them actually participate, and especially the haggard one, yeah, it, it was like, oh god, there is there is no hope for this situation. They, these guys are going to ruin this woman's life. Did you expect that the nice young, fresh-faced guy, who's the son of Hugo Weaving, by the way, um? He did you expect that he was the one that was going to kill the baby, and or did you expect the baby to die? I feel like once the lieutenant was talking about you know making the baby shut up, the the worst case scenario brewing in my head was that like oh something bad's going to happen to this baby. But again, the way it was done, just how sudden it was, just slam against the wall in a moment of panic. You know that that's what caught me off guard. I think. It was, again, very deliberate and wise decision, too, that it wasn't the lieutenant who killed the baby, right? Because we already know that he's a bad guy. Yes, we already yeah. know that, that Sam Claflin's character is a bad guy. And it would have just, to me, it would have felt a little obvious that he would have killed the baby. And it makes it really, really difficult and hard. And it makes it a lot to, to process that the, the, the young guy... Again, because this is how we're programmed when we watch these movies. We see his character, and we go, oh, he's going to be the one who's the good guy out of the three, and maybe he'll turn and be good or whatever, but, you know, he kills the, ba- he kills the baby. And there's no turning back from that. And when he gets killed later in the movie, that, that whole scene is, is a lot to unpack, but there's a level where you could tell he knew he fucked up, but at the same time... You could tell via his acting that he didn't understand that what he did was yeah. wrong, and that is just such a fucked up scenario. But that kind of makes sense with how the movie portrays all these British people and all the white people. A lot of the white people in this movie is they just don't understand the the ramifications, and the ones who do are the evilest of all, because the lieutenant understands exactly what the fuck he's doing every single moment in this movie, practically. And that's what makes him such an unlikable guy, because he's... Like, you can tell that he 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 is... A ra- he could be rational, but he doesn't... He just doesn't choose to be, because he's a fucking psychopath. Yeah, complete monster. Um, That scene was intense. I saw it in the cinema, and people cried... Um, it's it's a hard watch. Does is it is it too much? That's the question that people have often debated about. Is the brutality? Is the violence? Is the rape? Is the death of the baby? Is this stuff too much? I think intensity is definitely necessary for the impact. 
Uh, whether it's too much or just right, I wouldn't know, but I'm... Again, going back to our uh, alternative definition of liked, I liked what how they handled it. I think it's... I think... Yeah, I think it works. I think it has to be. It has to be the way it is. She shoots it and cuts it and edit, edits it and all that stuff in the sound design. All of it is tastefully done, but it's still impactfully done. We don't have the typical rape scene in these movies in which they rip her shirt open and we get to see some titties. And, like, in a lot of these rape scenes and movies there is still that minor form of exploitation and titillation because why not in movies this one is just you know they just they just go there they don't they don't have time they don't rip a shirt they just they just do what they do and move on and it's treated as if it was nothing as well um and it's that that makes it also very uncomfortable and just like yeah like the cruelty of these officers is necessary because it's, it, like I said before about our main character's racism, it would feel inauthentic if they weren't this level of evil because these people were fucking evil. I mean, look what they're doing to the land. They're civilizing it and all of that. And we've talked about on the pod too uh, you don't have as much of a familiarity, and I'm not an expert either. But there was there's a, there is a level of great animosity in history of the, between the Irish and the English. And our main character and her husband and the child are Irish, and that is a part of what fuels these people to go against her as well. Is they they hate her not just because she's a woman, but also because she's Irish, and that is yeah, a big Irish convict. Yeah, she's an Irish convict. How fucking dare she? And that makes again it feeds into the authenticity of these characters because before the rape we already know via their mentality towards her that's how they see her they see her as less than they see her as nothing they see her as property he literally just owns her practically so it's a choice made to be as brutal as it is and to be and we keep saying brutal but to be as 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 intense and as horrifying as it is, but I think it's an intense... I think it's a deliberate choice, and because it's deliberately made, I, as a viewer, get the sense, without even having to read the trivia, that the director understands what they're doing. And because I get yeah. that sense that she understands the choices that she's made here... I feel at ease, even though the scene is making me feel uneasy, I'm feeling at ease because I know that they know what they're doing. And so it's not too much for me. I do not um, begrudge anyone who says it is too much. And that kind of one of the things that many people also delve into Bartek is because this film's so bleak, because this film is so constantly in your face with how kind of horrid the world is, there comes a point where some people where they say it's like what's the point everything's pointless is like is this nihilistic is the kind of demeanor some people get from this movie like all you're showing me is how fucked up the world is what am i supposed to glean from that is so many people's reactions to that how do you feel about that 
And did you have that kind of feeling at any point during the movie where you're like, oh my God, what the, like, fuck me. Like, you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Um, again, I feel like the fact that the char- uh, the characters that we follow who are the protagonists, the fact that they have an arc in which they change is something that, you know, was is intended to kind of keep you in the film. Mm. You know, the fact that she goes from, you know, riding the horse, aiming the gun at Billy the whole time to, you know, actually protecting him and working together with him. That's that's something positive to to latch onto. Yeah. Did you have any negatives for this movie? Because there's many more positives to talk about, but I only have a couple of negatives. But what about you? This is your first time seeing it as well, so you may have something that I uh, have forgotten from my own first time viewing experience. Uh, nothing immediately jumps out at me. I think there was just so much going on that I didn't really. I didn't really have time to pick out things in the film that weren't, you know, uh, weren't contributing to the overall mm. uh, execution. Um, it's 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 a little hard for me at this point to determine if there was actually anything I disliked in it, or or I think was a fuck up. To me, at this point, yes. Oh no no, go, continue on. I, I was basically just going to repeat myself, like. I, I don't know if I have a negative, but um maybe if I watch it again, I might pick up on something. To me, my negative is the pacing. This film mm-hmm. does feel a little too long, and I think that comes down to the dream sequences. Although they're beautifully shot and they do mean things and they do fit in, I feel like there's a couple that don't need to be there, or they need to be shorter. Because I like the dream sequences, but what works for me is the, the reality of the movie. While that is the surreal aspect of the movie. That's the getting into the character's psyche through dreams. And that's an artsy way, cinematically, to do that. And that mm-hmm. is the stuff I did not like as strongly as the rest of the movie. And... It does stick out because you always know it's a dream. You just, you just know, you know, with the way that the scenes are constructed, you always know it's a dream. And some of them are beautiful and they really do hit me hard, but they add to the length of the movie, which I think needs to be a tad shorter, like five to five to ten minutes shorter. That's all. Like, I'm not saying half an hour shorter this is just over two hours but i think that's my main issue with the movie everything else is is pretty perfect to me i think the look of the movie is amazing i love the aspect ratio choice i love the color palette of the movie how drained it is i love the characters the performances the the cuts the direction the lack of music there is no music in the movie did you notice that no, I. Now that you mention it, yeah, the. I'm thinking of moments where they're singing, but I got those music there. But no, that was just the singing. There's only music for the un- like the credits stuff, but there's no yeah. score in the movie telling you how to feel or what to feel. Just the nature happening in the background. The Tasmanian devils, whirring and making vibrating noises that made my wife look at her phone to check that she didn't have a notification. <laughs> right. And just the nature. Like, and again, you didn't notice that there was no music, did you? No, I didn't. But as soon as you said it, I'm like, I think you're right. And that means it worked. It means it it didn't call attention to itself. Sometimes 
music is a crutch. Sometimes it calls attention to itself. It can be great. Like, I love having music and movies. Of course I do. But sometimes it can be too much. Sometimes it is the glue that holds movies together because it's informing the audience on how to feel. And because music's such a primal thing, it really resonates with sometimes it's too much. And this movie strips away the music and only leaves it really for the singing portions. And it hits all the more because, again... It feeds into the authenticity and the matter-of-fact nature of this world. Hence, the dream sequences don't hit as hard for me because that kind of goes against, slightly, that aspect of the movie. But, I, like I said, the dream sequences is the only thing I have wrong with the movie, and I still like most of them. There's not one in them I go, now that one needs to be definitely cut. It's just one too many, and they need to, do, to be shorter. They just went on a little too long, each one of them, I felt. The only one that I really remember vividly is the one where she sees her husband like holding the baby or whatever, and then it slowly transitions to a real life guy standing there, creeping up on her while she's sleeping near the fire, and then Billy has to hit him from behind. That one was really effective. I don't know if you remember that particular one. I do. The guy was calling for his mates, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was really effective because just the way that that transitioned into reality. And that one worked really well with that kind of like this film evokes a lot of Australiana type things. One of them being Picnic at Hanging Rock and Picnic at Hanging Rock does that really well of what's dream and what's reality, like what's blending in into the, you know, you you know, especially in this wilderness uh, of the forest land and like dysphoria happens. And that was a great moment of that, that I didn't really feel with the other dream sequences of bleeding in from sleepy dreams to shocking reality and being like, is this actually real? And then you're like, oh, fuck, this is actually real. That one worked particularly, but I think I wish the other ones worked a little bit more like that one did. But again, that one also works because it's the only one like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess now that you mentioned the dreams, they I guess they didn't work as well for me because most of them did just have, you know, dead dead characters appearing. So I immediately knew, okay, this is a dream. Mm. Um, yeah. But I I like the point you made about how the film, if it was just like. 10 minutes shorter would have been good because I was generally okay with the full pace of the film. Mm. Um, but a little bit off, yeah, I could see that being a good thing. Mm. And also you mentioned, um, you know, the muted colours, the locations of the film. It does kind of bring us back to what we were saying about First Blood last week. I had similar mm. positives for this one. I really enjoyed the locations, the the whole forest. Yeah, I mean... There's so much attention to detail. Like you said, the trivia just goes on and on about the attention to detail that they put in. And you can see it like with their costumes. We don't often talk about that. The attention to detail with their costumes. Like, I loved how horrid looking their uniforms were. Just how dirty and gross. And it makes sense. Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, like that very that very first scene where like the one guy's yelling at all the troops, and then the guy in charge of him's like, "You also look like shit." You know who the one that you called the real ragged-looking guy is, don't you? That guy played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really? And he went oh. to play Charles Manson again in uh, Mindhunter that year, last year. He was Charles Manson twice, and this fucker. 
So if you had seen him a lot that year, you would just fucking despise seeing this guy's face because he he was <laughs> a fucking piece of garbage. He's just such a horrid, gross guy with like no redeeming qualities to him. Like, look, we'll get into the lieutenant character, but he has the guise of at least having a th- the ability to be a leader. Whether he was a good yeah. one or not. But this fucker, he has nothing going for him. He's just a fucking evil, weasel, loser, alcoholic. There's that moment in the film where he gets rem- like he gets told by the lieutenant uh, by the lieutenant, sorry, that he his life is owed to him by a child. Never forget that. <laughs> his name's Ruse, right? Yeah, Ruse. Yeah. Yeah, Ruse. He was a fucker. Yeah, um, to get into the performances, um, uh, was there anyone in this movie that you knew? Like, when they popped up, was there anyone that you knew? I do not think so. The fact that you told me that Ruse was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably the closest chance I would have had of recognising anyone, and I didn't. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't know anyone in this movie either. Like, I, I had seen this, I think, before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so I didn't even know him from that. Um, I don't know the lead actress. Apparently she was in an episode or two of Game of Thrones, but everyone is, you know, everyone mm-hmm. is. So, But she was amazing. I I thought, like I said, I, I didn't see the actor. I saw the characters, and I was completely immersed in her performance. She really carries this movie because she, him and, uh, her and Billy are two protagonists, like you could say. They carry the movie because they, they walk that tightrope act of, being likable and unlikable, realistically. Because Billy has his moments too, where he's a bit of a jerk. And it makes sense. They both make sense, like I said before, about her character. It makes sense that she's a racist. It makes sense for him to be an asshole too. But they they walk that tightrope for me really well, in which there's moments where I'm like, oh, you fucker. And then being like, no, 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 I'm still on your side. And it's really difficult to do that performance-wise, to actually carry that off, let alone writing and direction-wise. But the actual actors, I, I flipped my feelings on them constantly throughout the movie while still also rooting for them. And that is an achievement in itself. Yeah, I completely agree. They were they were excellent. Who is your favorite in the movie? Or someone that you gravit- like enjoyed seeing? I really liked Billy. And what about Billy? Worked for you because this is his first acting role, or at least first filmed role. He's a dancer. He, oh, he's a dancer. Yeah, I didn't know that. Take, I guess he kind of danced in the film. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he does every yeah. Aboriginal dance, but yeah, like, isn't that crazy? That is, yeah, that's wow, that's really cool. But what about what about that performance and that character? Really worked for you because I I love Billy too. I thought he was great. He was great. Um. Yeah, I guess there's um there's a certain bluntness about him. He he makes his feelings known pretty much immediately to everything. Like the the friend uh of the main character and her husband at the beginning when he's calling Billy to, you know, tell him to uh be a guide for her. He says, you know, do this thing and Billy's just like, No, I don't want to. Um, there are the moments where there was one where uh the main character Claire told him like I'm paying you to protect me he just turns around and says no you're not and he just like lays it straight <laughs> yeah. out like no I'm just guiding you, you and all yourself. the moments <laughs> yeah you protect yourself um 
his moments where like oh there are white people ahead of us i'm going to take an alternate path to hide and then i'm just gonna appear out of nowhere to continue leading you later um you really get a sense of like oh this guy has his smarts and he understands uh the danger he is in and it's really really interesting to see him kind of having his own survival story in this you know revenge film i liked billy a lot he he had all that stuff you said um what i liked about him too is all that stuff you said it's true to his character but there's a level of his character performing too because as we get to know him he opens up more about what he's really like and who he's really like because that's his he's got his guard up right this crazy white woman and we get to know yeah. him and we find out that he's a kook he's like a he's a bit of a kooky guy like he's a, he's a joker he's a bit of a funny guy and he's a bit like you know he's the blackbird he's doing his little dance and he's like you move too fast 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 i move slow and he's <laughs> He's a funny guy. Like, you could see, but at the beginning, you didn't necessarily get that feeling. Like, yeah, it was. it's funny when he just, uh, like, cuts her off and says, if you want to go the wrong way, go the wrong way. That's funny, but it, that doesn't mean his character is funny. That's just meaning he's having a funny interaction there. But we get to learn that his character has a lightness to him, that he has a levity, but also a tragedy there, because that scene in which he's allowed to sit at the dinner table by who are the nicest white people in the movie who are still prejudiced. That scene absolutely guts me. Him just crying at the table and just, yeah, it, it, that scene, that scene is probably the tough watch for me in the movie is just how natural that reaction is from his performance. And it is a, it's a it's a tough sit that scene for me. That was like, yeah, that's the scene that I avert my eyes away from my mind a bit. I I I can watch the the rape and the dead baby stuff and the violence and the the race stuff. I I get that, but like that one hits really hard for me. And I think also a part of it too is, like I said, I grew up in a town, a small country town, one of the most racist towns in Australia with a bloody history of its own. Um, we have a place around my town called Dead Man's Gully in which white people just corral Aboriginal people and hunt them there. And that stuff, you know, I think about these things of where I grew up and people, Aboriginal people, I I know who kind of remind me of Billy even still to this day and Billy's, you know, character set in this time period. And it's just, yeah, this overwhelming sense of this dehumanizing that the Aboriginal people go through back then and still go through now even in the 21st century, it makes Billy a really compelling character because those elements still ring true and because of how much of a great performance it is, it really, really rings true. Well, I've seen this type of thing happen in movies like Rabbit Proof Fence and many other movies and great performances, but like I said, there's a level that doesn't feel real. There feels like a authenticity or those movies feel more so designed as the white guilt movies as well mm -hmm. well this did definitely fill fill me with white guilt even though my background like i said i got a polish background and i've also got a, an aboriginal background i don't have an english background but again 
you know, I'm a white guy who's grown up in Australia and obviously has benefited from what the colonialization has done. So there is a level of white guilt. But I wouldn't say that this film is purely, this is a white guilt movie. This isn't the color purple. But that, of course, is definitely in there because that's just the history. It's just showing you how fucked up the situation was. Yeah, and there is even kind of like an overlap. You have that scene where, um, I don't know if overlap's the right word, but uh, the scene where Billy realizes that the woman that he's guiding isn't English but Irish. It, it kind of like, you know, has him kind of confront his own prejudices. Yeah, and the fact that also, like, to him he doesn't know the difference. Also, probably, mm. like, like you didn't know when we recorded that episode back in the day, like when I had to pull you up on, hey, uh, don't don't say Ireland's a part of the UK, okay? Because like, yeah, they don't like that. Right. <laughs> because of the <laughs> the bloody history between them. And again, this is set, you know, during this time, and, and here we are seeing our Irish characters being treated like shit, and then as the 20th century hurtled towards, the tensions between Ireland and, and the UK would grow further and further with stuff like Northern Ireland and the IRA, and it goes on and on and on. And this movie does a really good job of putting you in that headspace too, because we are the outsiders to that. Like we we are the insiders to the the uh the knowledge of the Australian history and the racism and the Aboriginal stuff you know in uh, in our capacity, but the the relationship between the Irish and the English is something that we aren't familiar with as much as people from Ireland and England say. And this film does a brilliant job of giving us that understanding. Yeah, it's. For me, it, it calls attention to it probably in the most, yeah, this the most blunt way ever. I was gonna, I was just gonna say my favorite performance though in the movie was um, Sam Claflin as the as the lieutenant, mm-hmm. as Hawkins. I had to look up his name because all <laughs> I just remember, it, oh, I don't remember his name. I just remember him as that. I just call him that motherfucker, that fucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> When I was watching the film, I'm like, I'm going to remember this name. But as you say, yeah, just that motherfucker. Because they don't refer to it. They just call him the big boss man and all that kind of stuff. And just like, they just, they don't even really want to refer to him by name. He's just, you know, him, the lieutenant. Mm. They kind of dehumanize him as well by just referring to him as, you know, what he is, like his 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 rank. He doesn't have a name. Like, yeah, they say he's, he has a name, but he doesn't really. He's just he's... the English. He's such a I have a rank character that his motivation is I want a higher rank. Because he's owed, he thinks. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. British captain guy before is like, you, 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 we owe you nothing. You are owed nothing. And he doesn't understand that concept as a character. Yeah. He's incapable of understanding other people. He just understands himself. What did you think of him? Uh, yeah, he's a... Uh... He's a complete monster in many ways. One of the biggest ways we see in the film is, um, obviously, first half hour, it's mostly him interacting with our main character, but for the rest of it, it's him interacting with the group that he's traveling with, the, you know, fair number of people, and for most of them, he is incredibly, incredibly manipulative in, in different ways for everyone. Like, mm-hmm. he... He there's a child in the group, an Irish child convict, little boy mm. Eddie, um, who he seems to be mentoring to become you know a, a sort of next yeah. monster. But then even when Eddie, you know, fucks up, it's just an instant. Okay, you fucked up, you're gone. He has 
Uh, he doesn't care yeah. about anyone other than himself because at the beginning, like you said, he has his little posse. And because of the way we understand these scenarios in movies, you would think, oh, well, he cares for his posse and his posse cares for him. But, like, the slimy one, the, the Charles Manson guy, he fucking despises him so much, yet he has to rely on him. He has to rely on him because he knows what that guy is capable of doing and he gets him to do stuff for him. But he fucking despise... He humiliates all of the people around him. Every single person. If he doesn't kill them, he absolutely humiliates them. I think there was one guy in the group that... I don't even think he had any dialogue. I think he might have gotten off a bit, alright? No, yeah, he's the one that lived. (laughs) He had so little presence that he couldn't get fucked over. No, no. And uh, I love that they keep referring to the child as a midget throughout the movie, just again, to show you what assholes they are. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was a bit funny. Again, to go back to this question, was it too much... Is he too evil? Or what do you think about that? Because he has practically nothing good in him. He is just evil incarnate. He's probably one of the most despicable characters I've seen in a movie in the last decade. But is he too much? Is it unbelievable? Um... I mean, I'm just picturing in my head an alternate version of the film where he has some redeeming character, and I don't really see much benefit to that, so I'd have to say, no, I think he's fine as he is, in an alternate definition of fine. I think, again, he feels authentic, he feels real, and they go to these extra lengths to show you that he is like this with everyone and everything around him. It's not just oh, he's a racist, or oh, he's a sexist. It's He is filled with hate for everything, and he thinks he's owed everything. Um, And he's just a pathetic little man. Like, when she sings the song at him at the end, and, you know, when she humiliates him in front of everyone, and they just let it happen too, and she asks him that question like you know like after all the women are raped and all the blacks are killed and all of this stuff and you've been given all the power and the promotion what then you know and yeah there's nothing (laughs) yeah there was that one moment in that scene where you know for most of it he's staring at her but there's one moment where he looks around to see what everyone is looking at and like that moment there you know that was that was him not breaking down, but like showing his true color. Like, oh no, my reputation. His weakness. Like when yeah. she... I guess you could also. S- no, go on. Oh, I liked when also she had that line about like, "What did your mummy never love you?" or something. Just like how <laughs> <Yeah>. degrading <laughs> she, like how much she degrades him in front of everyone. And you, you have to ask these. You would think about these questions. Like, what's wrong with this fucking guy? Like, did no one give him love? And he's just like this empty vessel. But really. It's because he is the representation of colonialism. <laughs> like, Oh, that's actually kind of what I was going to go into. Um, yeah, if one argument you can have for why he is so extremely despicable is that if this film, which is focusing mainly on a series of events in this one area, if you're going to have a character be the microcosm of the colonials and the atrocities they did it seems kind of justified that the one that we follow is 
super, super despicable to represent that whole uh, group. And like I said, unlike Roos, he does have factors to him that you could see how he operate like like that he he's capable and that he's respectable or he has like he has charm he's handsome uh he is capable of leadership and like he has all of these things that you could say uh you know he has qualities to him that aren't just his evil man because he uses those qualities to manipulate everyone around him to be evil and you'll love this. So Sam Claflin, who plays him, who plays uh, the lieutenant, he is an actor who I looked him up because I was astonished by this performance. I, I, I've never hated someone more than this guy in the last decade. I fucking was... I Like, again, the words that I say, it's hard to say this, but I adored his performance. Like, from an acting perspective... I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, I I don't know if I could ever, like, I could ever, like, it's such a well-done performance of being this asshole man, because I believe him. I don't see the actor, I see the character, but when I looked up the actor, Bartek, this is the oddity in his career thus far, because he's Mr. (laughs) Handsome Nice Man who plays romantic leading roles in movies. He's in the Hunger Game movies, and most notably for me, he's in a movie called, um, I think it's called like Me After You or something like that, in which he plays a quadriplegic who Amelia Clark, Daenerys from Game of Thrones, falls in love with. You've probably seen, it's one, and it's got the most chintzy romantic movie poster in which she's sitting on his lap and they're both looking at each other lovingly while the background clearly has like twinkly lights that are out of focus. <laughs> and that's his filmography. Like, everything he's in is practically him being handsome, nice guy who the girls swoon over. And this is the only thing I've seen him in. And I can't yeah, that believe film... that this is, like, the weird thing in his career. And not, like, I can't believe that he would take a chance like this. Like, think about it. He's got a comfortable position as an actor, he's he's gliding on his ability to be this handsome, charming, sweetheart guy. And then he does this. Like, what a big risk that is. Like, mm. and also, who knew that, like, who would know that this guy was capable of being this level of detestable? Because on paper, right? If you, if I told you I was going to make this movie and I'm going to cast the guy from the movie where he was a quadriplegic that fell in love with Amelia Clark as this character, it would be very hard to believe that he could pull it off. Yeah, even even if you know you're a super director and I trust your judgment hundred percent, there would definitely be a thing in the back of my head of like, okay, that's a weird choice. So it's unavoidable. Yeah, it is. It's. And that impresses me because as I've stated on the pod, and you know this, I adore and absolutely head over heels for these type of actors who do this. Dan Stevens being my number one with with him being like, I'm the cute guy, I'm the guy that girls swoon for in Downton Abbey. And then he does the guest. And he does all these weird... I was thinking of Dan Stevens. Then he yeah. does all these weird shit. And then my other one's Army Hammer who Army Hammer's like a conventional, attractive, leading man guy, but then he would do weird shit every now and then, like Sorry to Bother You, where he plays like a Steve Jobs-type asshole man. And 
they're my this is my holy trinity of the generically handsome leading like white guy leading actor romance guy who can be the most fucking despicable scummy sleazeball weirdos <laughs> and Sam Claflin yeah. I mean I want him to do no I don't want him to play more despicable characters but he's piqued my interest like Dan Stevens did with the guest in terms of I'm really keen on seeing him branch out of the conventional roles that they have to do more advantageous roles like this because my god he he was effective I, I fucking hated him outside of the obvious with the first 30 minutes what was a detestable thing that he did or said in the movie that really hit you um that really hit me the I wouldn't describe it as me being hit, but me being like, oh, holy shit, is um, after after his guide, Charlie, gets killed and he forces Ruse to be the new gui- guide, even though <laughs> Ruse clearly has no idea where they're going to be going and he knows it and everyone knows it, but he still <laughs> plays up the the whole act of, you know, you are leading us. That was like, well, we, we you know exactly what you are doing and how this isn't benefiting you at all. It was, and where it's going to yeah, go. That. Yeah, and then as you mentioned earlier, the whole you owe your life to a child thing is how it all ended. Yeah, that that's the bit that I think the obvious, the one that struck me when I first saw it was when he killed Eddie. Because again, yeah. the way my brain is constructed with these movies, I was like, oh, even though I know he's an asshole... There's that lulling sense that you get of, well, the nice, pretty British, like pretty British white man's going to teach this young boy how to be an upstanding citizen, right? And then as soon as Eddie, like, flinches at having to do something, he just abandons him. And not only does he abandon him, he he just shoots him cold and then complains about the noise. I hate the noise of it all. <laughs> yeah. And, but the one that. Sh- really got under my skin in this viewing is and this goes into the the rapes and the sexual violence again but just the 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 spoken and understanding everyone has about rape in his world like him and Roos have a system of things that they go with like you get her first and then I go after and mm-hmm. when they get that aboriginal woman and they take and 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 Roos takes her from her child, who's just left there. We never get confirmation if they ever found that child. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, they were all dead and whatever." And he's trying to be the leader, right? Sam Claflin, you know, the lieutenant's trying to be, "No, no, no, leave her. We don't want this. We've got to get to this place in time." But he can't help himself. He's like, "All right, tie her to the thing," and then you know he he, he rapes her later on and he punches her. And then he gives her over to the other guy. And that stuff really got under my skin because it's like, again, because he's kind of not just a representation of obviously um, males in this world, but of just colonialism. It's just the the business-like nature of the brutality. And that was colonialism. It's just, here we are, we're civilizing the world by just brutally hanging people and murdering them. And it's just like no understanding of the actual horrors of what's being done because it's under the guise of, well, it's my job and I'm improving things. And that kind of is even reflected with 
this whole thought process and how they act with just raping women and this Aboriginal woman. And it's just, it's just a lot. And just, like I said, he has no real redeeming qualities. Like when the guy gets the spear in the leg and he runs off and they're like, we should go get him. He's like, no, 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 he's done for. <laughs> and just leaves him to die. Mm-hmm. Which brings me into my next topic of conversation the violence in the movie um and obviously the scenes in which she goes off and she kills them or she doesn't and billy does or whatever in these movies these rape revenge movies a part of the uh what makes them uh films that exist for entertainment's sake is the pure bloodlust that the audience gets in terms of wanting to see the bad guy get their just desserts how did you feel about how this movie handles that aspect of it because there comes a point in which you get that right she stabs that fucking first guy but then from that point on the movie doesn't to me doesn't in um indulge that primal urge that these other type of movies do in fact it's just like it gets more and more sad and more and more pathetic and just more and more matter of fact like sam claflin just gets a spear in the chest and it's nothing it's just like and we move on how did you feel about that aspect yeah. I guess it didn't hit me as hard, but definitely the scene where the guy that killed the baby, when he was killed, that was the one where she ran out of ammunition partway through, right? Yeah, gun fucked up. Yeah, and then and then she just started beating him with the gun, and that was, yeah, that was brutal, because it started off as like, okay, we, we got him, he's going to be dead soon, but then it just had to be prolonged by the beating. And he tries to defend himself. He tries to throw her off and grab the gun and hits her and tries to grab out his knife. And it's just a mess. And it shows you that violence and revenge, it isn't clean. It's messy. It's showing you that with how much of a fuck-up she this whole situation was. But then that spirals out into her mental state. It haunts her and it harms her. And, th- and that obviously was already there with their violence and how messy that was and how horrid that was. Because they may have gone there to go kill them, but uh, her, her husband and her and the baby or whatever. But you could clearly tell that they didn't plan that out. And what happened, it was in, in a way an accident or a, a series of misfortunes. Of course, they were there with the intent of harm. But again, violence is messy in more ways than one. And that scene there, in a movie, like I Spit on Your Grave, you're like, fuck yeah, she killed the guy that killed her baby, fuck yeah. But this one, it's just so, like I said, messy to the point of pathetic. And when you cut back to Billy's reaction, when she turns around and Billy's there, and he's just surprised and shocked and disappointed and leaves, that's kind of what I, the audience member, was feeling with that. Because also... Do you remember what the guy's last words were before she beat the fuck out of his face with that gun? Mother, right? Yeah. Calling for his mum. Mm. Which, of course, ties in because, you know, she's a mother and she's doing this in revenge because, you know, of her baby. But that scene, it really struck me because you want that, right? You want in this movie the bloodlust thing of, yeah, fucking gets them and murders them and it's awesome. 
and you you're leading up to that right the movie's making you feel that you want her to get there she's gone through all these trials and tribulations she had to go through the river she nearly drowned she wants to save this horse billy doesn't want to be a part of it but she convinces him anyway they've dealt with these other white guys who want to hurt her and billy and oh my god all this stuff what about the food do you remember food and when we finally get to the moment in which she's she's got there she's got this guy he's already injured perfect and it's just so pathetic and so sad, and miserable, and just horrid, and it makes you feel dirty, and it makes you feel like, oh yeah, that's right, this movie's not about the exploitation and titillation of the violence, it's it's about how horrid it is, and here it is being horrid, and that makes sense for the movie, but again, because of what we expect from these movies, that's what you're expecting, and then from that point on in the movie, all the violence that's happening and them going after these guys, it feels more and more pointless. Where mm. when the lieutenant died, were you like, how did you feel about that? Because she's not the one that kills him. Billy does. And he just does it like, bam, and then just walks off. And that's it. He just yeah. gets a spear and that's him done. Yeah. As you were talking that whole time, you were talking about how the death feels pathetic or... You know, it, it it's not satisfying. I was thinking back to how I felt about all the deaths, and I think my reaction was more, and this sort of relates, but kind of just a dull feeling like, yeah, she's killing them now. And, mm. and it was only after the deaths were over that I realized, like, yeah, I don't, that, that's, that's not the reaction that she would have wanted. It's, it was meant to be a sort of more satisfying thing. And the fact that I, I sort of didn't feel either what she wanted to feel or maybe even what the film wanted me to feel was kind of not the point but a, a poignant thing about it it's mm. it's that the revenge wasn't playing out the way that her in her grief wanted it to and us the audience wanted it to because again this is a type of movie, these rape revenge movies. That's a type of movie, and a, why one of the reasons these movies thrive is because of that primal urge of, I want to see them get theirs. And this movie plays with that at first, but then reminds you, yeah, but this world is all about how horrid vengeance and violence truly is. And even the people who deserve to get theirs, it is, like you said, it, it you just feel dull to it. It's just like, oh, okay, like... They're dead. And you go, what did this solve, really? If anything, it just made mm. things worse. Because at the yeah. end, Billy's shot in the stomach. And he's going to die, most likely. We don't see him die, but, you know, that's the feeling, right? And it's like, what did this really solve? There's a moment of catharsis, for sure. But in the in the real, like, in the real thing of it, it it's a short-term solution that just causes more problems. Hmm. What did you think of, um, well, did you have a favorite, uh, I've been talking about a lot of my favorite scenes. Did you have a, a favorite scene in particular? Uh, I mean, I mean, the moments that stuck out the most to me were the, the aiming the gun while riding the horse and the, uh, the scene where, where, you know, you, 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 uh, you owe your life to a child. Those scenes hit the hardest. Yeah, I, I, uh... A scene that really, really stuck with me, and I mentioned it before, but is when 
she's finally arrived in the town and she gets yelled at by Sam Claflin and then she just was like, fuck it, I'm following him into that building and I'm just going to keep going. Just going to... She she doesn't know what she's going to do and just her singing that song and the lyrics of that song matching perfectly with what's... The headspace of everyone at that point in the movie was great and just... Oh, it was it was a great way of humiliating him and demeaning him and just fucking him over. And then, of course, Billy has to continue it on. He's he's driven at this point, and he, he he's got his reasons for doing it. But uh, uh, that scene in particular, where you know I'm not your nightingale, all of that. I was gonna yeah, I was gonna bring up that line. It, it is a a really strong movie. Um, and like we said, this isn't. Like, you wouldn't expect... Like, in a way, this is 100% in line with what Jennifer Kent does, right? Like, the Babadook dealt with a lot of Australian issues and mainly a lot about women, right? That movie was about motherhood, and this one is also about motherhood as well, but they deal with them very differently, yet you can very much tell that this is by the person who did the Babadook, but it's not a horror movie. It's not your spooky... It's just the horrors of history and of violence. Hmm. Yeah. Um. What did you think of the end? The end. Uh. The the, the beach scene. Right. Um. Mm, when we finally get sun in the movie. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, that scene was lit more than the rest of it. Unfiltered yeah, sunlight, it... because the rest of when they were in the town was all cloudy and miserable and nighttime, and then when they're in the wilderness, it's being blocked by all the trees. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's um, it did just kind of end, didn't it? He was, mm. she was following him because he was injured. He sat down. They were looking at the the sky over the ocean, and then the film just ended. Is that how you feel about it? Is is that a dissatisfying ending? Yeah, I'm not really, not really sure how I feel about that. It 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 feels meaningful, but I, yeah, I don't know. How did how did you feel about it? Well, well, I just want to keep probing you. You say it feels meaningful, and that's the thing about having to analyze and talk about these movies, trying to trying to decipher and articulate what that feel, where that feeling comes from, and why that feeling is. What do you think it is mm. about that that makes it feel like that for you in that scene and in the, in the movie? I guess because the um, yeah, just before that scene, the conflict was resolved. The, the people that wronged her were killed. They are now gone. Mm. Her mission is complete. It wasn't by her hands. The person that did do it is now injured and we're not sure if he's dying or not because he he does have a grave injury but he's still moving around she just follows him i don't mm. i don't did she have dialogue in that scene she sang she's singing she sang at the end he sang his song thought, she sang her song i remember him singing yeah that's right they're both saying mm. and i guess i guess it was meant to be a reflective thing about how what she set out to do has been done but yeah, there is no there is no triumph to it. I like the ending. I felt a lot from it. I yeah, triumph isn't the word, but there is it isn't a bleak ending, right? It feels 
like something has happened in for them that they've reached an understanding of themselves. And I think that is evident by the fact that well, they both have lines of dialogue. He has this whole little speech about, I'm still here, this is my home, and he starts singing about the sun and, and all this stuff, and he and dances, and he's the blackbird, and he is no longer the Billy we met from the start, who who was aware of his people, but he wasn't actively one of them, right? He was just drinking and keeping to himself, and, you know, he had Charlie, but Charlie wasn't his family properly, you know, he wasn't one of his people, but he still taught him his people's ways, and he, Billy, throughout the movie, was constantly bringing up the fact that, yeah, they're trying to force me to have the white people way, but the white people way is dumb, my way is the right way, and at the end of the movie, he's embraced that fully, and he's wearing the paint, and he's doing the dance, and he's embracing it 100%, and he's marveling at the sun, which, of course, the natural landscape is very important um, in Aboriginal culture, especially the sun, and at the end, you know, he's singing in his native tongue, and he's accepted whatever has happened, and he's now what he wants to be, whether he's going to live or not, that's not important. It's more that he's reached the place of true understanding of himself. At least that's what I get. And it's very much the same for her. She speaks her native tongue. She sings her song. And her song's also about similar ideas. And she is understanding of who she is at the end. I also like the visuals of they're not standing next to each other because they're on different, like, they're different people like he's on one side of the frame she's on the other still holding on to her horse who's the only thing left of her husband at that point mm. she mentions that that's isn't it great that the horse didn't die usually the horse would die right they make a big deal about how important this horse is they go out of the way to go get the horse and in movies like this the horse would have died right but at the end the horse is still there, there. were yeah, there were many scenes where it could have died <laughs> Many, many. But it didn't. And it didn't. The movie ends on her taking a breath in. And that in itself kind of gives it's kind of hard to explain. I don't know how to communicate it, but emotionally speaking for me, I get a sense that things are going to be okay. Just from that alone. Just that breath in like ah just inhaling the fact instead of, you know, if she ended the movie with an exhale, that gives a different sensation, doesn't it? Than an inhale. Mm. It's a little thing like that. But again, this movie, attention to details. And that's an attention to detail that it's kind of hard to communicate in the words, but emotionally it affects me in a way that is what I think the filmmaker was intending the inhale just that little touch as well as them speaking the singing in their own languages and her standing next to the horse and him stand uh, sitting on the ground and all that yeah i get a lot out of the ending but i can see why people don't it is one of those it just ends and you go oh but when they face all these consequences that's not what's important at that point no that's true yeah um yeah i enjoy this movie quite a lot i mean you know enjoy you know like we said it's a hard thing to say, Ultimate but definition it's, of a joy. <laughs> it's it's one of those movies that it, it works, and I I really do like it. I like it more than the Babadook, honestly. 
Um, again, I would have to revisit the Babadook, but the fact is this movie has stuck with me, and not just the horrific images, but lots of things have stuck with me from my first viewing of it, and I've been really, 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 really wanting to revisit it, and get other people's opinions on it because I'm like the only person I know who's seen this movie and I wanted to kind of just also have an avenue to talk about it because it is a movie that does want you to talk about it in a way and not in a Lars von Trier way but it actually does want you to think about what it's saying and actually kind of delve into that and and like like you said Bartek it's one of those movies too where it makes you want to read the trivia to see how much of it's accurate <laughs> yeah um yeah the babadook's not fresh in my mind but i think i like this film more for sure yeah um uh yeah the 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 nightingale not for the faint of heart but it is a recommendation from me i think this film you know it I, like i said it's got all the similes of you know impactful meaningful intense horrific all this stuff it's it's good to have movies like this to experience because the horrors of what happens in movies can really reflect upon the real world and give you a deeper understanding of things going on um and this one does that very effectively and does it very very well i highly recommend it bartek would you recommend this Yes, if if from what you understand of this film, it is not something that you would immediately uh, recognize as not being for you, it is worth checking out, for sure. One of the things I wanted to ask, and this is our own personal ideologies, is um, someone I know wrote a review of this a while back, and they talked about, like, this is a movie that... I'm so glad I read up on what the details were beforehand, right? Like, of like I knew it was going to be intense, but I'm glad I I knew that this, 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 and this were going to happen. Like the rape of the baby, uh, the rape, the death of the baby, all that. I'm glad. And there's that kind of thing with this movie in particular. Movies like this is, what do you think of that kind of um, thought process? Is it like how do you think about that? Of is it good to know certain things before going into a thing, or just or not knowing, or just knowing the general aura of the movie, because that's what I feel. I feel personally like, I think it would have been cruel of me not to give you a warning of, hey, look, this movie's intense. To me, that's enough. But for some other people, they need to know these things. And I guess that's what rating system, like, that's what, you know, the the ratings on DVDs and all that give you is like, it has sex, violence, all this. But how do you feel about that issue when it comes to movies and viewings of uh, TV shows um, and stuff? If I were to get a sort of warning, I would want it to be basically the level that you did, just saying, hey, in general, this film is going to be, you know, a bit tough. I think maybe for this film... Uh... I was gonna say maybe I would have been fine not knowing anything, but I think I think it was beneficial just the extent that you said, just a general warning. If it was something specific that you told me, like oh, there's gonna be a rape scene here, then it would have just been a thing for me, like oh, well, there it is. Mm. So yeah, I guess to put it in a very generally recognized terms, uh, no specific spoilers. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a case-to-case thing. I mean, obviously there are people, like I said, I had to put content warning at the start and trigger warnings. There are people who need to know these type of things because there might be some triggering effects for them, and that I understand completely. And I'm not saying that it's invalid, the other approach either. I just speak for myself. I get a greater enjoyment out of a movie the less I know about um, it, specifically with this type of thing. Like, if I knew there was going to be horrific rapes throughout the movie and violence of this nature i may not have wanted to go see it as eagerly as i did beforehand when i just knew this is a brutal watch and i could kind of determine from my for myself brutal intense all this stuff and i just look at what the movie is like see the poster understand what time period it's set and like just the general kind of thing i could kind of pick up in my own brain oh okay 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 i got an idea of what it's going to be like and that in itself is enough for me like was i truly surprised that they killed her baby and raped her and killed her husband and raped her in front of her husband all that no i wasn't but it was still nice to not know that exact detail before walking in uh yeah but yeah are we ready to hear the recommendation for next week's episode Yes, we are. Well, what was the last movie you have seen that actually came out this year? A movie that came out this year? Yeah. Uh, Borat's subsequent movie film. How many movies have you actually seen that have come out this year because of, you know, obviously there's been a lesser amount of movies being able to be seen because of everything going on on in the world. Because the movie we're going to be doing next week is from this year. And it will be one of the first times we've covered a movie that's come out in the same year as the episode we record. We usually have a year or two gap between. It's not as prevalent on our show. So Yeah, we've had one or two that were just one year. Um, I think... Oh, I think I've seen two films that came out this year. Well, we're going to be doing a movie. It's on Netflix in Australia, at least, but I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix everywhere. It's called, and it was recommended by our good friend Lauren, um, who uh, loves these type of movies. It's called Love Wedding Repeat, and it stars Sam Claflin as a handsome, pretty guy who's in love (laughs) that's the guy from this film right yes and you can see why this lined (laughs) up perfectly our friend lauren really really wanted us to cover this movie earlier in the year she was like you guys this movie came out you guys would get a kick out of it it's one of those kind of funny sloppy like movies and i was like oh and i looked it up and i'm like oh sam claflin i know him from this movie and i thought one day we're going to have to double these movies up to get the night and day effect of Sam Claflin's abilities <laughs> as an actor and what he is capable of. So this week we got the oddity of him. Next week we're going to get the standard of him. Isn't that, isn't that going to be interesting? Yeah, and it's going to be a standard from after this film too. <laughs> yeah. I oh, mean, I hope he, he goes on to do more, more, more awesome shit like this. 
All right, that's it, um, listening people. We've talked. Let us know your thoughts, opinions, and uh, anything of that nature about the movie The Nightingale. We are on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. You can hit us up there. We all we post uh, things on there, furthering the discussions of what we've talked about on the pod, and you know, share clips and photos and all that. And, of course, you can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com. You can hit us up there and the social medias. They'll also recommend a movie, as Lauren has, because, as mentioned, we take listening people's suggestions and it will be great to make that list grow even more. We've got a decent-sized list, but it's always good to get more because there, there may be movies that you want to hear our thoughts on that we either don't know or wouldn't even think of discussing on the show. That's a part of why this format is so fun for us, because Bartek will recommend a movie that I'll be like, oh, wow, I wouldn't even, like, I know the movie and I like it or whatever, but I, I wouldn't have thought of suggesting it for the pod. And same for Bartek with myself. And you listening people can contribute to that fun effect of everything. So make sure to do that. And... You can always rate and review us on whatever podcatcher allows you to do so. It is always greatly appreciated. Uh, Bartek, a pleasure, as always, to be discussing movies with you, even ones as uh, sensitive as this. I think we had some interesting avenues of discussion. Uh, until next time, listening people, remember that colonialism is is bad. It's It's very, very bad. Very bad. Yes, yes. My special pleasure too. And thanks for listening, everyone. Yay! Let's end the episode on a positive note, because this film wasn't about a cute little birdie. <laughs>